Good morning. Let's begin with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and uh, study today. We thank you for the spring and the sunshine, refreshing the earth. We pray that you will be with us today, lighten our minds, and may we experience the freshness of your presence. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And we are doing uh, lesson number four in our quarterly health and healing. And the lesson title this week is The Water of Life. If somebody would read for us the memory texts in our lesson this week. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4:14. And when you think about this memory text, this water welling up to, uh, uh, to life, uh, is this water literal or metaphorical? Metaphorical. From where does the water of life originate? If you look at Friday's lesson, in the second paragraph, it says, The priest had that morning performed the ceremony which commemorated the smiting of the rock in the wilderness. That rock was a symbol of him who by his death would cause living streams of salvation to flow to all who are athirst. Christ's words were the water of life. There in the presence of the assembled multitude, he set himself apart to be smitten that the water of life might flow to the world. In smiting Christ, Satan thought to destroy the Prince of Life, but from the smitten rock there flowed living water. As Jesus thus spoke to the people, their hearts thrilled with a strange awe, and many were ready to exclaim with the woman of Samaria, Give me this water that I thirst not. And that's from Desire of Ages 454. What do you hear? I want, to, I want us to spend some time expanding and really kind of getting our mind around this idea. What is the water of life? What do you hear? The water of life. Truth. Truth. Okay. He says truth. Other thoughts? Life-giving. Life-giving truth or life-giving... Life-giving. Bringing forth abundant life. Bringing forth abundant life is what it does. It's its function. But what is it? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, she says. The knowledge of God is, is life. How do we partake of it? How do you and I, if, if the words of Christ, the quote was, Christ's words were the water of life, if the water of life is not H2O, physical matter, but it's, it's symbolic of, of this truth, of the knowledge of God, how do we partake of it? Study the Bible. Applying it to your life. Having a real relationship with Christ. Having a real relationship with Christ. This is out of Desire of Ages 187. See what you think. He who seeks to quench his thirst at the fountains of this world will drink only to thirst again. Everywhere men are unsatisfied, they long for something to supply the need of the soul. Can you give me examples of how people drink of the, of the cisterns of this world? How are people trying to fill the voids in their soul by drinking from the world? Internet. Entertainment. Entertainment. He said Internet. Alcohol, drugs, workaholics, workaholics. Secular, psychology. secular psychology. Ah, how about relationships? Materialism, wealth, music, video games. Any of this stuff? Drinking of the world? Okay, here's what goes on. It says, the need of the world, the desire of all nations, is Christ. The divine grace, which he alone can impart, is living water. So we had earlier, the words 
of Christ were living water. Now we have the divine grace which he alone can impart is living water, purifying, refreshing, and invigorating the soul. I want us to flush out this idea of of living water, to get a real three-dimensional kind of mind idea about what it is. Jesus did not convey the idea that merely one draft of the water of life would suffice the receiver. He who tastes of the love of Christ will continually long for more. Does that give us an insight? Is the love of Christ connected to the water of life? Somehow. Is it part of the, or is it the water of life? Hmm. But he seeks for nothing else. The riches, honors, and pleasures of the world do not attract him. The constant cry of his heart is more of thee. And he who reveals to the soul its necessity is waiting to satisfy its hunger and thirst. Every human resource and dependence will fail. The cisterns will be emptied and the pools become dry. But our Redeemer is an inexhaustible fountain. Okay, now we've got his words are water of life. His grace is water of life. We partake of the love of Christ. He is an inexhaustible fountain. What is this water of life? The love of God. The love of God. Christ himself. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Try this one. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 730. As the plan of redemption begins and ends with the gift, so it is to be carried forward. The same spirit of sacrifice which purchased salvation for us will dwell in the hearts of all who become partakers of the heavenly gift. Because I'm asking you the question, what is it? How do we partake of it? Right? What did you hear just described? The same um, plan of redemption begins with and ends with what? A gift. What, is, what principles is, is described in that phrase? Giving. giving. What, what, what law is described in giving? The law of love. The law of love. Notice, I mean, put the pieces together, okay? It says, so it's to be carried forward. The same spirit of sacrifice which purchased salvation for us will dwell in the hearts of all, become partakers of the heavenly gift, says the apostle Peter. And this is quoting from Peter. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What's being described? As you receive, you are to give. give. What's being described? What law? The circle of life. Well, you hear it. You see it. Okay? All right. Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them forth. This is Jesus speaking now. Freely you have received. Freely give. give. Again, what law is being described? The law of life, the law of love, the character of God. Is this somehow connected to the, what the water of life is? In him who is fully in sympathy with Christ, there can be nothing selfish or exclusive. Nothing selfish or exclusive. He who drinks of the living water will find that it is in him a well of water springing up to it everlasting life. The spirit of Christ within him is like a spring welling up in the desert, flowing to refresh all and making those who are ready to perish eager to drink with the water of life. It was the same spirit of love and self-sacrifice which dwelt in Christ that impelled the apostle Paul to his manifold labors. What do you hear? How would you describe somebody who just read the story of the woman at the well and, and uh, he talks about living water and she says, give me some of this water that I may, I may partake. What would you tell him this water is? Christ died on the cross so that you might live. Christ died on the cross so that you might live. Well, he told her the answer. He said, I am that living water. How do I partake? How do I partake? I am. Okay, we get it. Jesus is the living water. How do we partake? That's the question. How do we drink richly? 
I mean, is that not a fair question to ask? How do we drink richly of the living water who, which originates in Christ? John 17, 3, life eternal is knowing God. knowing God. How do we get to know Him? We internalize water to benefit from it. We have to internalize the thoughts and ideas of God. Oh, I like what she says. We internalize water, so we have to internalize the thoughts and ideas of God. And Jesus said in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Is this a, a different message or the same as the living water message? It's internalizing Christ. His life is in the blood. We internalize His life into our hearts and minds. But how? But how? How do we do that? Well, how do we get to know about His life? Where does that come from? Do we already have something we read that gave us insight into that? What is it that was described in our very first quote as being water of life? His words. His words. And what do His words reveal? His character. character, And his character, of course, is the truth about, which destroys the lies that keep us from knowing him. And as we are one back to the truth, we are one back to trust. We open our hearts. We actually choose to open our hearts. Think in human relationships and the people you actually trust. How was it you came to trust the people you trust? They were trustworthy. Experience. Say that? They were trustworthy. How did they, she, she said they were trustworthy. How did you know they were trustworthy? Experience. Have you experienced Christ? See, we can know about Christ and God. Think about this. Do we know about Barack Obama and George Bush? About them. How many even know them? See, is there a difference between knowing about somebody or something and knowing them? Yes. Yes. Huge difference. And this is the difference. How do we partake? We have to know Him, don't we? Spending time. Spending time in study, in prayer, in conversation, in relationship, where we actually put our life in His hands and trust Him after we've had enough evidence that He can be trusted. Yes? I was listening to one of the back things on Charles Mills when you were talking about... Anyway, you made the comment, you said, when rightly understood, the Bible always agrees with science, and when rightly understood, the science always agrees with the Bible. To me, science is nature. It's the physical world. I think we need to spend time looking at the physical world and seeing that it agrees with the Bible. I think that's very confidence-inducing, that what we see in nature agrees with what we heard Christ say. What do you all think about that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of sense and wisdom in, 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 in putting those two together. Yes? I, I read a study a few years ago that suggested that the human sensation of thirst is 60 to 70% of the time mistaken for the sensation of hunger or fatigue or something else, which dovetails nicely with this, this idea that we should be filling ourselves with, with these with the water that Christ gives us instead of trying to fill it with other, other things that the world has to offer. I have patients all the time, all the time, who come to see me with eating issues, uh, bulimia, and uh, emotional eating. And they eat to comfort themselves emotionally. Now what they're hungering for is something to comfort and soothe their soul. But they, they instead substitute food. 
Now, physiologically and psychologically, there is a transient comfort that comes from doing this, and that's because when you get a surge of, uh, of, of glucose and carbohydrates, there's a transient increase in serotonin in your brain, which gives a, a, uh, a neurobiologic calming effect for a brief period of time. But there's also another reason. There's a conditioned response. What else happens simultaneously when an infant is being fed? They're being cuddled, they're being held, they're being stroked, they're being caressed. And so there's this Pavlovian conditioned response that we have in the deep unconscious mind predating our ability to speak language that there's an association between food and being emotionally cuddled, comfort, held, loved. And so sometimes, both on the neurobiologic side and the emotional side, people will turn to food just as when ringing the bell caused the dogs to salivate, binging on food will give this transient feeling of being held and comforted. And so people will sometimes artificially and falsely try to fill their souls with food, which doesn't ever really satisfy because that's not what they're hungry for. So, yes, we can mistake what we're really hungry for and replace it with with things that don't satisfy. Would the water, water of life, would the water of life be the life of Christ? Would that be what it is? Is it the same as, as the love of Christ, the character of God, or what Peter called partaking of the divine nature, or what Hebrew says, having the law written on the heart and mind? Mm-hmm. Are all those things the same? So then what, what would it look like then if you saw somebody who was drinking of the water of life? What would their life look like? Fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. Christ's life. Those are good answers. I like those. Steps to Christ, page 77. It says, When the love of Christ is enshrined in the heart, like sweet fragrance, it cannot be hidden. Its holy influence will be felt by all whom we come in contact. The Spirit of Christ in the heart is like a spring in the desert, flowing to refresh all and making those who are ready to perish eager to drink of the water of life. Love to Jesus will be manifested in a desire to work as he worked for the blessing and uplifting of humanity. It would lead to love, tenderness, and sympathy toward all creatures of our Heavenly Father's care. Think that through. Love, sympathy to all creatures of our Heavenly Father's care. Yes. You're talking about partaking of Christ. I think part of partaking of Christ is also then giving to others what you partake of. It's not just taking it in. Perfect point. I was going to ask, can you partake of the water of life and partake of love without giving it away. You lose it if you do. You lose it if you do. It'd be like partaking of oxygen without giving away carbon dioxide. You can only do that for just a minute. I can't partake of any more if I'm not going to give carbon dioxide away, can I? No, I can't do it, and then I will die. Uh, this is out of 9 Testimony, page 50. It says, The world was established and is sustained by the compassionate love of the Creator. Think that there is sustained by love? How do we understand that? And see, I've been having a lot of dialogue on our website in the last few months with people over this issue. They get real confused over the law of love. Some have challenged that this isn't a law of something I fabricated. And that's because they think of love as an emotion. How would you describe the law of love? Is it an emotion? What is it? A decision, an action. It's it has an emotion. It's beyond all of that. Oh, a principle. Thank you. Absolutely, a principle or a law upon a template, a design template upon which life is designed to operate. Yes. I think it's more like gravity or advanced physics. It's just something that is, and if and the only way to realize what it is or it's not, 
is to experiment with it or play with it. And once you've just once you've experienced it like a medical practice, once you've done it long enough, you figure out what happens when you obey or disobey this law of love. I agree completely. That's exactly what the law of love is. Love is a design protocol upon which life is built to operate. And it has permutations that are infinite because God is infinite and it emanates in God's heart. And permutations include the choices we make, the feelings we feel. Those are all permutations, but ultimately it is a a, a construction protocol. The principle of giving, just like breathing, is part of that principle. The physical laws are, are designed off of this. This is what life is built to operate upon. Can one experience the water of life with, with, uh, we just asked that question. Uh, is the water of life different? Now, this is, we're going to maybe get into some controversy. We never do in our class. <laughs> is the water of life different from the tree of life? We just said the water of life is metaphorical. Is the tree of life literal or metaphorical? Both. Or both. Oh, I like this. All right, a free thinker over here. Both. Wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me set him up. I like it. Okay? All right. Genesis 2.9. Genesis 2.9. It says, And the Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yes? There's a verse in Revelation 22 talking about the water coming out of the throne of God. And I saw that the water of life and feeding the trees and the healing of the nations will come from the eating the leaves. We've got Revelation 22 here in just a minute. We're going to read that text, so it's good. You're exactly right. So is this tree, these trees of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life, real or, or metaphorical? Real. Real trees. Was the tree, the, so the tree of knowledge, it was real. Did it possess something that would cause them harm if they partook of it? No. Remember, signs of the time of February 13, 1896. There was nothing poisonous in the fruit of the tree of knowledge itself. Nothing that would cause death in partaking of it. The tree had been placed in the garden to test loyalty to God. So what did they obtain from the tree of knowledge? Was, it, was there anything physically harmful that they obtained? No. Any, any viral uh, bioweapon that was in there that they were harmed by? the decision that they made. Okay, so the was the death effect, the death-causing effect derived from the tree of knowledge itself? No, no. Hmm. Then if the death-deriving effect was not derived from the tree of knowledge itself, is the life-deriving effect derived from the tree of life itself? I might be completely mistaken, but didn't he put angels around the tree of life so that they couldn't partake of it? You're not mistaken. That was our next text here. The life to the tree came from Christ himself. So that's not that you're not mistaken. The Genesis 3.22, next text. It says, And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Hmm. Boy, what do we make of all this? It sounds like it's providing physical life, doesn't it? Revelation 22 text he mentioned a moment ago. It says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have right to eat of the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Are the robes literal robes in this passage? Or are they metaphorical robes? Blessed are those who wash their robes. If we get, get our clothes, go down to the laundromat and wash them, we'll be blessed. Is it literal robes or is it these robes metaphorical or something else? What are they metaphorical of? Blessed are those who have their characters purified. 
the robes are metaphorical of character. Well, do we suddenly jump from metaphor to literal? Less for those who wash their robes, they might have right to eat of the tree of life. The character is literal. The character is what's literal. What about the tree? You think it's literal, she says. Okay. Well, how about this? Another scripture, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hands are riches and honors. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She, what is she? Wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Literal tree, metaphorical tree. Hmm. What does the passage mean, passage in Proverbs, that wisdom is a tree of life? What does it mean? Is it completely just unconnected to what was in Eden? What will be in the new heaven, new earth? Are they connected? Should I say what or who? Is wisdom in Proverbs three? Knowledge of God. Yeah, the, 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 the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's just the beginning. Respect of God, the beginning to know God. That's the beginning of wisdom. And you start there, and then we continue to grow by partaking of Him. Fear means reverence. I always thought the wisdom was Jesus Christ. He said, "I always thought wisdom was Jesus Christ." In John chapter three, what's it, how does John chapter three start out? In the beginning was the. Word. And the Word? <coughs> and the Word became? Hmm, that's a capital W, isn't it? How about wisdom? Is the Word and wisdom the same? The Word and wisdom is the same? Is, is Jesus not wisdom? Actually, you'll find if you read some verses, versions of the Scripture that wisdom in, in, in Proverbs in this passage is capitalized, just like the Word in John 3, that the wisdom refers to Christ. Yes? This is why Eve took the fruit. She said she saw it was pleasing to the eye and desire and desirable for obtaining wisdom or knowledge. That's what she thought. That's what she thought. Yeah. She was lied to. She yeah. Lied. Is Christ wisdom? Is he wisdom? Yes. What kind of wisdom? Yes. Uh, doesn't Paul say that this is life that we know him, the only begotten of the Father? John seventeen three. This is life that we know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ is now sent. John seventeen three. If one has Christ, oh, what kind of wisdom does, does Christ, is Christ? What kind of wisdom? Wisdom of the world? Remember he talks about the wisdom of the world, is, you know, wisdom of God is foolishness to the world, and the wisdom of the world is foolishness, and so forth. Okay, so it's not wisdom. What kind of wisdom do we get from Christ? Eternal wisdom. Life. Eternal wisdom, life? Can we define it any more than that? It's very general. Wisdom about God. Wisdom about God. What is God's nature? So, do we get the wisdom of love from Christ? The wisdom of selflessness. Greater love is no man than he give his life for a friend. This is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Do we get the wisdom of selfless love? Uh, he who was one with, one with God did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself into the form of a servant. Do we see this wisdom of selfless giving in Christ? Is that what we see? What is the king? Do we get the wisdom of God's kingdom from Christ? And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of love. love. Are we back to what the what the water of life is? What is the water of life? Love. The truth about God, His character of love, the law of love upon which life is built to operate. And so, the water of life originates in Christ. Wisdom originates in Christ. 
The tree of life, wisdom is a tree of life, according to Proverbs. Hmm. So is the tree of life literal, metaphorical, or both? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the, of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? Right doing. Right doing, which looks like? Self-sacrificing. Love. We're back to it again. It's great stuff. Um, this is out of Review and Herald page, uh, Review and Herald, January 26, 1897. It says, The tree of life is a representation of the preserving care of Christ for his children. As Adam and Eve ate of this tree, they acknowledged their dependence upon God. The tree of life possessed the power to perpetuate life. And as long as they ate, it, ate of it, they could not die. The lives of the antediluvians were protracted because of the life-giving power of this tree, which was transmitted to them from Adam and Eve. Now, this is an interesting passage. Let's, let's reason our way through it. The tree of life is a representation, representation of the preserving care of Christ. Um, what does that mean, representation? A symbol. A symbol? A stand-in? Not the literal itself? But yet we read in the very next sentence. Because the tree gets its life from Christ himself. The very next sentence, the tree of life possessed the power to perpetuate life. The antediluvians had longer life because of the fruit of the tree of life. Hmm. Galatians describes the tree as bearing different fruit every season. Every season, every, every month of the year. Twelve fruits a year. So... Are we talking literal fruits or are we talking fruits of the Spirit? And if so, why does it say every month? He says, are we talking literal fruits or spiritual fruit? And if it's spiritual fruit, why do we get a different one every month? Doesn't that seem it's more like literal fruit? Kind of like in kindergarten when you've got the character trait of the month. <laughs> you got the what? We got the character trait of the month. This, this oh, character trait of the month. Okay. Does it sound like this tree, at least somewhere, at some time in history, past, present, or future, is real, physical? Does it sound like it's also metaphorical? Does it sound like this tree had physical molecules? That if you that Adam and Eve actually partook of fruit from this tree, put it in their physical bodies, and it did something healthy for them? Does it sound like that? Yes. Well, back in the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice a lamb and uh, for forgiveness of their sins, and uh, the lamb wasn't forgiven their sins. And it seems like God likes to operate in a, in a mode where there's something physical, tangent, that, that you... That stands between an infinite God and a finite created being that helps us make a connection with our small minds. What do you think about his point here? There was a real physical lamb... But the physical lamb didn't really do anything, literally, for their eternal salvation. It's the same when we partake of communion. We're taking literal bread and grape juice, but it is metaphorical in that it represents Christ. She's saying the same with communion. Anybody going to challenge that? Communion, in other words, we're taking real physical you know, nutrients into our body, but, but, but it's symbolic of Christ, who is our eternal life. Does that sound like the tree of life description? Or the tree of life had actually better physical nutrition than the wine and the bread? Because I'd like to take a communion where I would get 900 years of life, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. If anybody finds one of those around, let me know. <laughs> it's the act of faith in eating it that we 
The act of faith. Of course, we get eternal life through Christ, don't we? Not just 900 years of physical life in a sinful body that's still going to get old and decay and die, like Methuselah 969, still died. If somebody gets to heaven and refuses to eat of the tree of life, will they live forever? Uh, interesting question. Interesting question. You should contemplate this. Do you have to partake of the physical tree of life in order to have eternal life? Yes. Does the tree represent relationship? Does the tree represent relationship, she asks. He's, I see several heads nodding. Remember the tree of knowledge had nothing in it that was poisonous or harmful physically, yet it resulted in death after partaking. Why? Broken relationship. Broken relationship, right? Tree of knowledge was a means whereby they demonstrated some change in heart. Some change in heart. They no longer trusted God and it was acted out by taking the fruit. Yes? Can it have anything to do with the fact that um, this desire, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm just not welcome love. Absolutely. We love welcome questions. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, the fact that we are to be like Christ, not be Christ, and there was a desire of taking the fruit to become God. I think that was part of it. I think that was part of it. And the question that was the temptation, you will become like God, but that ultimately caused them then to no longer trust yes, it, God. It, yeah. when, when our desire to become God instead of Christ-like. But that, that desire to become God, uh, is that primary or is that secondary to no longer trusting Him? Yeah, well, it's primary to tr- not trusting Him. Yeah, 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 there, you're, there you go. And so the, that idea undermined our trust in Him. Absolutely. Yeah, and that broken trust in our character, minds, hearts led to the behavior. But that trust is never t- tested until God disappears. That trust isn't tested in, without opportunity to make a choice of betrayal. Can you test someone's trust if they never have an opportunity to break trust? So the tree was there. The tree was there to have them have an opportunity to demonstrate trust so they could grow stronger. It was for their blessing. It was for their, the tree of knowledge now. The tree of knowledge was there for them to, to choose no. And in choosing no, they grow stronger, they mature. But the broken trust resulted in the taking of the fruit. Did Adam and Eve's life originate in the tree? No. Did God discover the tree and then form Adam and Eve out of the dust and then rub some of the fruit into their mouth and they became living beings. Is that what happened? No. It's important we think these thoughts through. It may laugh, but, but people over-promote the value of the tree. Life didn't come from the tree. But it helped us understand life and God and reality. It was a physical, like you said, it was a physical connection between our ranks and God. So did God use, does it appear that God used a tree to promote life, but the life still originated with God and flowed through the tree to, to mankind? So what does this mean? Are we in need of finding a literal physical tree with fruits that change every month of the year? Or are we in need of finding God? What are we in need of finding? We need to find him God. Be reunited with him. This is out of 7 Bible Commentary 989. It says, After the entrance of sin, the heavenly husbandman transplanted the tree of life to the paradise above. But its branches hang over the wall to the lower world. Through the redemption purchased by the blood of Christ, we may still eat of its life-giving fruit. Of Christ it is written, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
He is the fountain of life. Obedience to Him is the life-giving power that gladdens his soul. Literal? Metaphorical? What are we doing here? Did we just shift gears? Did we just change the ballpark? The, the, the tree was transplanted to heaven. Its branches hang over to earth below through Christ. What does that mean? It's still sustaining us. Yes. It's sort of like a mother and a new baby. They need the love of the mother, but they also need the milk of the mother. It's a combination. So how do we partake of the fruit of the tree of life? Symbolically. Symbolically? Say, how? Eating from it, but the eating, the partaking of it is real. Jesus said he was the bread sent from heaven, remember? He is the bread sent from heaven. He is also the vine and we are the branches. Remember the metaphors? Is it is it through the physical tree we have life or is it through union with Christ? Yes. Just real quick, because that's something I've never thought of in 33 years of whatever I've done, which is ministry. And that is, the tree of life, where was Christ hung? On a tree. Where do we find our life? In the cross. Can there be any metaphorical tree that crosses to the cross, that crosses to our salvation looking what do you guys think? Remember our class, come and reason. Get it, getting people to think. Evidently, it's working. we got somebody thinking. Isn't that good? I like it. First time I've ever thought of that. <laughs> good deal. So what do you think about the tree that Christ was hung on? Is he now the tree of life? Hope. We hope? Are we, are we, are we uncertain? We're not sure? In him was life, original, unborrowed, underived, we, we read. In him was life, original, unborrowed, underived. How does his life become a tree of life to us? How does his death on the cross become a tree of life to us? What would have prevented us from partaking of the the tree of life, Jesus Christ, if he didn't die on the cross? Would he have been less, less loving and less willing to provide us life had he not died on the cross? Yes. It comes back to his life that he lived in place of what happened in the beginning. He was a replacement for for Adam. Oh, I like this. Replacement for Adam. How? For, for what reason? For what reason? No, I like it. Do you all agree he was a replacement? Was he a replacement for you and me? Primarily. No. I see some heads nodding. I see some heads shaking. No. What, is, what does Paul say about Romans? First Adam and second Adam. Isn't that right? There's first Adam. Uh, all of us derive our life from where? From Adam. Our, our, ultimately, all life comes from God. Absolutely. Ultimately, all life, can't, can't, can't say that's wrong. All life comes from God. God gave Adam life in Eden. Did God give Adam an ability yes. to pass that life along? And a duty. And a duty to pass that life along. So when, when Seth came along and Cain and Abel came along, was that God creating or is that Adam and Eve passing along? the life that God gave them. Yes. Is that why that the rest of us are born, Psalm 51, born in sin, conceived in iniquity? Yeah. Because yeah, Christ came to show that the first Adam did not have to fall. First Adam didn't have to fall. He did show that. Did he come to do more than that? Yes. Did Adam change God when he sinned? No. no. Did Adam change the very nature of human species? Yes. yes. And was that nature change compatible with life as God designs life in the universe to run? No. No. So then, what did Christ come to do as the second Adam? To put human nature back in harmony with life as God designed it to run. 
Because the first atom and all of us are extensions of that first atom. Yes. To build off of that, um, in Genesis, God tells humanity that he must leave them because their sins have become so great that he can no longer strive the world. And thus we see that God leaves earth. Well, Jesus Christ comes back to earth to act as our intermediary, I should say. Um, somebody who can be a representative of God, which is, well, Adam is brought to life by the breath of God. So we need God, but we can't actually be in his presence. Why? Why did God leave the earth? Because he, his, his um, sensibilities were so offended, he was so nauseated and sick at our sin, he just couldn't take it anymore. It's like, oh, you just make me sick, you people. i got to leave. Or is it for our blessing he left? Uh, it was for our sake he left, because we couldn't stand to be in his presence. Remember it says in uh, Hebrews twelve twenty nine, God, our God is a consuming fire. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that if Christ would have come with all the glory he possessed with the Father before his incarnation to earth, rather than in the incarnate form, he would have destroyed those he came to save. Why would he have destroyed them? Because he was wanting, his intention was to destroy, he wanted to harm, he was angry and wrathful, wanted to punish. Because when, when God said to Moses on the mount, and Moses says, let me see your face, and God says, no one can see my face and live. What did that mean? If I catch you peeking, I'll have to kill you? <laughs> what does it mean? When Moses came down off the mountain, his face is radiating glory. Yeah, does Moses have third degree burns? Is, is his whiskers burned off? No. But when he comes off the mountain, what did the people do? Cover your face. How did they? What did they feel? What was their experience? Did did they have peace and joy, or were they actually in in in, uh, in a uh, psychological way suffering and in agony from this reflected glory off of Moses' face? Selfishness is not very comfortable in the presence of unselfishness. Oh, selfishness is not comfortable in the presence of unselfishness. And so, those of us that retain and hold selfishness in our hearts will be tormented in the presence of unmitigated, other-centered love that originates in God. It tortures us in our mind and hearts. Yes, this is, there's no question about it. So, there's a hand somewhere. Yes. Was that a reflection of the Shekinah glory when Moses came off the mountain? Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's, let's go on, because we had a couple other things we're going to cover in class today. Boy, just times just go so fast. It says, um, <clears throat> talk about the fruit hanging over the wall. Um, this is out of View and Herald, 20, uh, January 26, 1897. Christ is the source of our life, the source of our immortality. He is the tree of life, and all who come to him, he gives spiritual life. And then 7 Bible Commentary 989, Christ was the tree of life to all who would pluck and eat. So, the water of life comes from? Wisdom comes from? The tree of life is? Christ. Now, God, I believe at some point in time used physical things. There's probably and likely is a physical tree, but don't get this idea that the physical tree is a source of life. It is not. It is a conduit. It is a medium. It is a tool. The life comes from God and comes from Christ. And then we talked about laws and the law of, laws of nature a little while ago and the laws of love. This is a, a really cool quote. It comes out of Education, page 99. The same power that upholds nature is working also in man. 
The same great laws that guide alike the star and the atom control human life. The laws that govern the heart's action, regulating the flow and the current of life to the body, are the laws of the mighty intelligence that has the jurisdiction of the soul. From him all life proceeds. Only in harmony with him can be found its true sphere of action. For all the objects of his creation, the condition is the same. A life sustained by receiving the life of God, a life exercised in harmony with the creator's will. Do you hear that very clearly? What's that mean? Yes. If man is designed to live forever, then what's the purpose of food and water? Yes. This life we live on earth right now. I had somebody, uh, for those of you who visit our website and, and uh, Facebook page, uh, somebody email, uh, somebody put a question on our blog this week uh, along these lines um, and asked about the, the final death of the wicked. That uh, is it a natural death and then why is it that God's, uh, you know, the fire comes out from God's presence and so forth. What do you believe the natural order of the universe is? When you, read in Revelation, when you read in Daniel chapter 7, and it says fire comes out from God's throne, and 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands stand before him, is that the natural order of the universe, or is that an unnatural order of the universe? When Adam and Eve used to have robes of light and walked in God's presence, is that a natural order of the universe or an unnatural order? When the world became darkened after sin, and remember every time Ellen White comes out of vision, she goes, dark, 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 the earth is so dark. When this earth in its darkened state, is this where we live now, a natural order of the universe, or is this an unnatural order of the universe? See, what we live in right now is unnatural. We live in a world infected by what Paul calls the law of sin and death. All nature, Romans 8, 22, groans under the weight of sin. This is not the natural way of the universe. This world right now, if you want to use a metaphor, is on artificial life support. We're in an ICU on a ventilator. Why? Because we are sick of heart and mind. We would be, we would be dead. The metaphor I like to use is um, like the law of gravity mentioned. Imagine God took Adam and Eve to the top of the Empire State Building and said, In the day that you jump off, you will surely die. And Satan comes by in the form of an eagle instead of the form of a serpent and says, Did God really say in the day you jump you will die? Oh, no, you won't. Look at me. I've jumped and I can soar all over this planet. He knows in the day you jump you're going to soar into heaven and be like God. And so they jump. And immediately they're exhilarated because the air is rushing by until they realize they're going only one way. And then they're overcome with fear. And at that moment, when they're overcome with fear, remember they ran and hid because they were afraid? God literally sticks his hand in and suspends them in midair. Romans chapter 3.25 says God left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He, allowed, he suspended the consequences for a time. And while the human race right now, the whole earth, is held in the palm of God's hand, suspending the consequences, holding at bay the ultimate consequences for sin, he sends his son to earth, to the top of the building. Evil men pick his son up and throw him off. And now what do we watch? We watch as his son falls and God restrains himself and God does not intervene. And we hear the son cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you given me up? Why have you let me go? Why have you not stopped this? And we watch why the son dies, not at the hand of the father, but as a consequence of becoming sin, who, he who, became, who knew no sin became sin for us. Revealing that sin severs us from the, from the circle of love, the law of love, the, 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 the source of all life. This is why people die in the end. And now the rest of the universe, now, now the rest of the universe watches as we still stand in the, hand of, in the hand of God, as he's holding still back the consequences. And he's saying, now, if you'll let me, if you've seen all these evidence, if you'll let me, I will put you back in harmony. I will write my laws on your hearts and minds if you trust me. I will put you back through a window and put you in harmony with the law that's broken. 
But if we say, get out of my life, leave me alone, uh, you, you're always messing with my good times, I want to do things my way, then God will eventually give us our choice and withdraw his hand. And when he withdraws his hand and we're suspended in midair, guess what happens? Amen. We fall and we die. Not at the hand of an angry and wrathful God. So right now, your question about eating food and all this, we live in an artificial environment right now. This is not the way God designed the universe to run. I wasn't just talking about this life, but also... Yes, and I would suggest that uh, eating of the food is for our pleasure and for our joy. And I don't think the whole uh, issues of digestion will be the same. I'm not seeing septic systems in heaven, personally. <laughs> okay? I mean, I'm not. Rotor rooter will be out of work. Okay? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Complete, perfect energy transfer. Yes. Sunday's lesson, it talks about exploring water as a metaphor. When we think about water as a metaphor, what are the property, what does water do for us? Literal water now. What does it do? It cleanses, right? Water cleanses internal and external. Christ cleanses us from sin, both internally and externally. Physical deformities, that's part of sin. The sickness and disease we have, that's the external part. We get new bodies, immortal bodies. We live forever, but we have healed minds and hearts. We're healed internally. According to the Centers for Disease Control, what is the most single important means of preventing the spread of infection? Washing. <laughs> Washing your hands. There are 52 million cases of common cold each year in the United States. There are 250 types of blood, uh, foodborne illnesses. There are 10 to 20 percent of Americans are infected with flu virus each year. And the CDC released a report showing that proper hand washing nearly cut in half the incidence of pneumonia-related infections. Cut in half pneumonia-related infections in children under five worldwide. Proper hand washing was also shown uh, in other studies to be responsible for 47% reduction in impetigo, which is a highly contagious bacterial skin infection, 47% reduction. A recent FDA study revealed that proper hand washing can stop up to one half of all foodborne illnesses such as E. coli and salmonella. Kids who wash their hands at least four times a day experience 24% fewer sick days from colds, flu, and the like, and 51% fewer sick days from stomach ailments if they wash their hands four times a day. American Society of Microbiology showed that 97% of females and 92% of males say they wash their hands after using the bathroom. <laughs> of these, 75% of females and 58% of males actually wash their hands after using the bathroom. 50% of middle and high school students, 50% of middle and high school students say they wash their hands after using the bathroom. Of these, 33% of the females and 8% of the males used... <laughs> okay. The Minnesota Department of Health led three observational studies in public restrooms. And what they did is they had people standing there and they would watch people at the sinks. So they'd watch people at the sinks and people coming from the bathroom area, they would watch and count how many people were actually stopping to wash their hands. Okay? In, in 2003 Back to 50s car show event, 64% of females and 30% of males wash their hands after going to the bathroom. Want to shake hands, guys? In the 2003 State Fair, 65% of females and 39% of males wash their hands after using the bathroom. Okay, do you th I think maybe we should just, as a society, do away with handshaking. What do you think? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, and in the notes for this week, for those who want to download them, I actually included a, an instruction list on how to 
uh, properly wash your hands. It's in the, in, the, in the notes. Okay? So what are the spiritual lessons we learn from hand washing? And the reduction in illnesses. Do we get less spiritual sickness and problems if we partake of Christ multiple times through the day? Is there a lesson there? Yes, there's a lesson there. Do we have less fear and insecurity throughout the day if we're partaking of Christ all day long? Does less fear and insecurity impact the decisions we make in our life? Think about the decisions you make from day to day. I don't care what the decision is. Where you're going to, whether you're going to buy a car or not buy a car. Sell a house, not sell a house. Go to this school, go to that school. Uh, How many decisions do we make based off of fear and insecurity? We're coming in contact with a lot of ugliness out there. And we need to have that time with the Lord to just clean things up in our minds and bring us back to reality. So other lessons of, of water. Water is a requirement for life. What's the lesson? Christ is a requirement for life. We are composed of water and we need water to live. We are composed of energy, are we not? And where does energy arise? From Christ or God. Yeah, we need that to live. Yes. And so as a Christian to show that I want to be submerged in water and baptism is very important because it's a physical symbol that I'm using and that's our very next point in the lesson, baptism. So we're going to do two more points, and we're going to talk about baptism. It's a great point, and how, and how that comes in. Uh, water is stable, it's not volatile, and it's used to extinguish fires. What do we learn from that spiritually? Does the love of Christ stable? Is it constant? Is it not volatile? Does it extinguish something in our hearts that trouble us? Fear, insecurity, irritability. Does, does the love of Christ bring peace? And the, the metaphor of Zechariah 3 is that we are branches plucked from the burning fire, burnt with and damaged by sin in our lives. The love of Christ not only puts out the fire of sin in our hearts, of selfishness and fear, but it restores, it regenerates, it recreates. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It brings us back to true life. Purifying. Purifying, yes, healing. Water can present in many forms. Liquid, solid, gas. What lessons do we learn from that, spiritually? Does God manifest his love in many ways? Does it come in gentle and compassionate and selfless ways? But does God equally demonstrate his love in discipline? Pardon? Oh, oh, he just opened a can of worms, didn't he? <laughs> he said tsunami. Oh, boy, what a can of worms that was, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hurricanes. Yeah, is that God's love? God How about the flood? Yeah. How would you explain that to someone? Boy. Is allowing sin to exist itself a manifestation of God's love? Absolutely. It has to be. Freedom. God of freedom. That's right. But does that mean he uses his power to uh, send tsunamis or hurricanes against people he doesn't like? No. Not at all. Then why would he send the flood? He gave them an out. They just didn't take it. He, he did give them an out. Yes. Why the flood, though? He was trying to preserve one man who was loyal Okay, there was only one man on earth that was righteous according to scripture at that time in human history. Why was that significant? He was going to die. He was going to what? 
What happened if that one righteous man died? As soon as mankind fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, what was the only hope for the human race? Jesus Christ. Now, in Eden chapter 3, in in Genesis chapter 3, back in Eden, did God say to Satan, in the form of a serpent, that the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel? Now, that was talking about what? Jesus. Jesus coming to destroy Satan and his power. Did Satan know that the promised Messiah was promised? Yes. Do you think he just went back to his, uh, you know, his uh, TV watching room and kicked back for the next uh, two, four thousand years, and or was he active trying to prevent that from happening? Yep. Yes, and he almost succeeded. At this time in human history, Satan had everybody on his side except one righteous man, and God was acting in order to keep over an avenue through which the Messiah would come. He put people to rest in the graves. Is that the punishment for sin? The wages of sin is sleep in the grave until resurrection. No, this is not the punishment for sin. Nobody has suffered the punishment for sin. That comes at the end of the thousand years. So God kept, God acted at that time. Once Christ finished his mission on earth, once he came, accomplished all that was necessary for our salvation, has God acted the same way as he did in Old Testament times, using power to put people in the grave left and right like he did? Do you see that happening in human history? Is that because since the cross, and, we've, and the revelation of Christ at the cross, the human race has been converted, and we are now all holy and faithful. There hasn't been, there hasn't been hedonism and violence and exploitation and abuse of, of each other. I mean, we're all just wonderful people now. Or if you look at human history, Nero, Stalin, Hitler, um, worshipping Kali, the Indian goddess of death. Um, and we have just as much rottenness on earth since the cross as before, don't we? But we find God using his power to wipe out people doing this stuff. No. But you're looking finite, and your statements are finite. Give us a more infinite view. Exactly. The universe is also, sin was not originated on this earth. That's right. That's exactly right. And so we included that process when we talked about um, the seed crushing the serpent's head. It was a process of destroying the source of sin itself that the Messiah had to come. And there was a battle going on behind the scenes between the forces of God and and his agencies as well as Satan's forces. You can read some of this in uh, Daniel chapter 10. It's really cool. When uh, the prince of... uh, When when, uh, Daniel began to pray, and uh, 21 days later, Gabriel shows up and says, I was detained for 21 days by the prince of Persia. But But there's also in that text the king of Persia. And this is the prince of Arabia is coming to help him. We've got to leave. And if you read in there, who's the prince of this world? Satan. Satan is the, called the prince of this world. Is the prince of Persia bigger or less than the prince of the world? Less. Less. So this is one of Satan's agents holding and fighting battle, spiritual battle with Gabriel. We see behind the scenes. We see this picture. I like you bringing us this point. There's a, there's a bigger issue going on. The angels in heaven. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.9 that we are a theater, a spectacle to angels and to men. But we find God acting in those times because... And then, we, and then our last, last, boy, last couple of minutes was the issue of baptism. And it says uh, in, the, uh, in the lesson, in the lesson, it's first paragraph, Monday's lesson, talks about Philip uh, was out preaching, saw the, uh, the guy there, let's see, who was it? Um, when he saw the water, he asked Philip, uh, the eunuch saw the water, what hinders me from being baptized? Uh, he then was baptized by Philip and went on rejoicing. How would that happen in the church today? 
You're out somewhere, a pastor's out somewhere, and somebody says, ah, ah, I've heard about Jesus. There's water. There's a swimming pool. What hinders me from being baptized? What would a pastor say? Well, you haven't haven't accepted the 28 fundamentals. You can't can't be baptized until you go through a a 27-week Bible study course and accept all 28 fundamentals. I mean, what are you thinking? Baptize. Man, these people don't know anything. Why didn't Philip do that? When you are baptized, uh, are we baptized into the Adventist church or are we baptized into Christ? No, we're not. Not in this organization, we're not. You are bad. That's why you have to do the 28 fundamentals because they want you baptized in the church. Should we be? No. Should we be baptized in the Adventist church, the Methodist church, the Baptist church? What Paul says in Corinthians, he says, uh, I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, starting verse 10, that all of you agree with one another so there will be no division among you. We have no division in Christianity, do we? <laughs> and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brother, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. For, for oh, what, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Uh, were you baptized into the name of Paul? When he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Oh, yeah, there was also uh, Stephanus' house. But, but other than that, I don't remember anymore. That's what it says in the text. Uh, I'm baptized in the Adventist church. I'm baptized in the Baptist church. When we're baptized, are we baptized into a church? Are we baptized into Christ? Yes. Just real quick, there's always been a group of us that love us, have the opportunity to baptize in Christ, and then later go through everything. If they choose to become Adventist, let them become Adventist. I think that is the gospel message. And I think there's some... Well, that's because we have this thing in our church that we demand organizational loyalty rather than loyalty to Jesus Christ. And this is what the Pharisees in Christ they did, and this is what Christ said to them. You search the world over to find a convert, and when you do, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. Yeah, but, but it used to be different. Thank you. So I think we have a challenge to bring people to Christ, baptize people into Christ. And then we join an organization that most that the Holy Spirit convicts us is most in harmony with the Scripture and God's will and God's place for us in His, in his plan. Of course, that's why I'm here, because I, I believe this is the place God would have me. Yeah. And I'm, I assume that's why you're here. If anyone can baptize anyone, could I baptize my nephew? Yes. The Scripture doesn't, doesn't restrict the baptism. The church does. Yes. Credentials did John the Baptist have? Exactly. Well, he had the credential of the Holy Spirit. So, yes, you can baptize if you have the Holy Spirit uh, leading you to do so, and the person's convicted according to Scripture. That is a scriptural standard. Especially when you consider that baptism really is just dunking someone in the truth about God. And we all can do that. Yes, and I guess in closing, it ta- asks us to read uh, Romans chapter 6. This is my paraphrase of Romans 6. It says, What then should we say about this amazing healing plan? Should we spread the infection of distrust and selfishness, cause more devastation and destruction so that the power of God's healing solution may be fully dis- more fully displayed? Absolutely not. We have taken the antidote, and the infection of distrust and selfishness has been purged from our hearts. How then can we choose to be reinfected with distrust of God and practice selfish methods again? Or don't you realize that all of us who were, who were immersed in the truth of Christ Jesus were immersed into selflessness and have died to self-centeredness. 
We symbolically demonstrate we have joined him in dying to ourselves by being buried in water, and in order that uh, just as Jesus arose from the dead, displaying the life-giving glory of the Father, we too live a new life displaying God's glorious character in our lives. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have sent your Son to reveal the truth about you, to win the fight with evil forces we could not win, to perfectly restore your life-giving law of love, water of love, back into the human being. And be the, the vine, the conduit, the, the connecting branch to connect this human family back to your heavenly home. We open our hearts now and trust and that's your spirit will be poured out. Write your law of love in our hearts. Free us from fear, insecurity, and selfishness. May we be immersed in the truth of your kingdom and leave here to share this wonderful message with the world around us. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.